Uh, we're going to be using Sequel 16 this morning, and the reason I'm reading is just because we're not going to actually read all of it because it's a very long passage. Uh, but I'm just um, I'm going to read um, up to verse 43, and then I'm going to summarise the part of the read. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor rubbed with what came clubs, nor um, yeah, no eye pitied you to do any of the things that uh, no eye pitied you to do any of these things to do out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. When I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like in plants of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed, and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of eleven, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into the covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water, and washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with broiled crop, and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen, and covered you with silk, and I adorned you with ornaments, and had bracelets on your wrists, and a chain on your neck. I put a ring on your nose, and earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen and silk, and embroidered. Fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you. Declares the Lord God. But you trusted in your beauty and faith the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became took some of your garments and made yourself colourful shrines, and on them played the whore. The like has never been, nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels, my gold and my silver, which I've given you, and made for yourself images of men, and with them played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to, to cover them, and set my oil and my incense before them. Also my bread that I gave you, I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey. You set before them for a pleasing aroma. And so it was, declares the Lord God. And you took your sons and your daughters, whom you had born to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whorings so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked from there, wallowing in your blood. And after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you. Yourself a bolted chamber, made yourself a lofty place in every square. 
stand ahead of every street and be guilty or not to be facing major beauty and abomination, offering yourself to any passerby and multiplying your whoring. You also paid the whore with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, multiplying your whorings and provoking to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you and diminished your allotted portion and delivered you to the greed of your enemies, the daughters of the Philistines, who were ashamed of your good behavior. You paid the whore also with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. Yes, you paid the whore with them, and still you are not satisfied. You multiplied your whorings also with the trading land of Chaldea. And even with this, you are not satisfied. How sick is your heart, declares the Lord God, because you did all these things, the deeds of raising prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street, and making the lofty place in every square. Yet you are not like a prostitute, because you scorned payment, adulterous wife who received strangers instead of a husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers driving them to come to you from every side of your voice. So you are different from other women in your voice. No one solicits you to pay the whore, and you gave payment while no payment was given to you. Therefore you have sinned. Therefore it was free. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God. Because your lust was poured out and your nakedness are covered in your voice with your lovers, with all your unbondable idols, and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them. Therefore I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those who love and all those who hate it. I will gather them against you from every side. I will uncover your nakedness to them, that they may see your nakedness. I will judge you as well as you commit adultery and shed blood, if I judge, and bring upon you the blood of wrath and jealousy. And I will give you into their hands, and they shall throw down the vaulted chamber and break down the lofty places. They shall strip you of your clothes and take your beautiful jewels and leave your nakedness there. They shall bring up Against you, and they shall stone you and cut you to pieces with their swords, and they shall burn your houses and execute judgments upon you in the sight of many women. I will make you stop playing the whore, and you shall also give payment no more. So when I satisfy my wrath on you, my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be calm and no more be angry, because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me with all these things. Therefore, behold, I have returned to your deeds. storyline for Ezekiel 16. Uh, the last prominent column there, verses 44 to 58, this is kind of like a variation on the theme, and basically uh, what happens is um, uh, kind of an addition of a, a mother and two sisters into the story, and Jerusalem is compared to uh, the ancient city of Sodom, and to the northern tribe of Samaria, and um, you know, you might be familiar with Sodom as being a, a nice place and distasteful place and Jerusalem is actually found to be more unjust, just more uh, awful, more vulnerable than sort of let's skip to the end of verse 59. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath and breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways, and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elders and younger, and give 
realize the seriousness of their situation. God rescued his people from Egypt. He brought them into a land of their own. But they've always had a bit of a tumultuous relationship. They're up and down with their neighbors. For one moment, they're trying to strike international trade deals and assimilate in all sorts of ways. The next moment, they're declaring all out war. I mean, really, nothing has changed in international politics over the last few thousand years. But the, the, the main point of the story here is that Israel is a sinking ship. It's going downhill. It's rebelled against God. He's withdrawing his presence upon them. And God is saying to them, Look, wake up. Do you not see what's happening? You're being crazy. I'm here for you. I will save you. I've saved you countless times already. Yet Israel just continues her insidious slides towards uh, her neighboring nations and their gods as if they were somehow more trustworthy. So we are seeing some various comparisons that Ezekiel is used to try and bring this forward. Um, some of these are startling, some of them are bizarre. Ezekiel 16, uh, the comparison here is the most stark and compelling of them all. Uh, it, is, it is, if you will, the mother of all metaphors. The Lord God is saying, all right, look, I've, I've tried to get you to understand what's going on. I've been all lovely, but this chapter is just completely incompetent. So, okay, here we go. Let me tell you. story starts. The beginning of Ezekiel 16. God speaking through Ezekiel to the people of Jerusalem and compares them to a newborn baby. So a father who's an Amorite and a mother who's a Hittite. So Amorites are uh, an ancient tribe descended from Canaan, one of the offspring of the descendants of Noah. And the Hittites are from further afield, uh, from Asia Minor. We'll come back to them in a moment. But look at how this baby was treated. Day you were born, you were caught in the cup, you went washed, you cleansed, you went rubbed with salt, you were wrapped in cloths. All these things that have happened to the child, they're all acts of compassion that would be normally done to a newborn baby. This child was put out to die. In fact, this child was so defenseless and hopeless that only an unborn child could be more defenseless in our time. The point here is that Israel is, is without defense and without hope. And what's more, there's nothing in her heritage to attract the Lord to her. See, her parents, um, and, and these are symbolic parents, so Abraham and the father of the Jews, uh, was not descended from these nations. The point is, these nations were nations that were particularly opposed to God. They rebelled against him, and they, they did not serve him. And, and the point is that Israel really was. was like those nations and their attitudes to God, uh, in actually the same way that all of us are by nature opposed to God. But then look at what the Lord does in verse 6. I saw you in your blood, and I said to you, live, I made you flourish like a plant of the field. I don't want to go into the details of what would happen to a baby that was left out in this Incredible. 
place. There's nothing that this baby has done to make her worthy of receiving this. It's all completely worth completely mercy. So that, that's the picture, the, the kind of comparison side of this. What, what did it actually mean in reality for Israel? Well, on the most basic level, um, of the individual lives of the Jewish people. Um, we see in Psalm 139, for example, uh, that the Lord knitted us together uh, in our mother's wounds, uh, formed us in every way. Jesus, we know, upholds the universe by the sustaining word of his power. Every, every breath we take, every beat that our heart beats comes from God. He sustains us, he gives us life in every way. He formed us also, in a special way, um, God chose to make a particular promise to his people. So, fast forward a few years, the baby is now growing up and is at the age for marriage. And this is when things start to get crazy. So, what does God do to this uh, young woman? And if I got things up to quite a nice guy who's helped this baby out, so maybe he'll. Uh, pay for her university fees or give her you know, a deposit to get her on a housing ladder or um, maybe even introduce her to a city bachelor. Not quite. Look what he does. He covers her nakedness. He made a vow to her. He entered into covenant with her. She became his. That last phrase um, reminds me of the Song of Songs where woman says, my beloved is mine and I am his. What's going on here? Three times says, the Lord spread the corner of his garment over her. Uh, I mean, let us do um, what Boaz does to Ruth, uh, which we read back in the book of Ruth. Uh, it's an ancient form of proposal for betrothal, uh, really. What is happening here is that the creator of the universe is getting married to his people. There's no more powerful way of God telling us how much he loves us. See, even the most beautiful, best human marriage that we can see and experience in our lives is just a dim picture of God's love to us. See how he bathes, her cleans, anoints, clothes, wraps. Adorns, crowns, nourishes her, gives her splendor, which gives rise to her beauty, which gives rise to her renown, which is fourth among the nations. God commits to them that he will be their God and that they will be his people. And what did Israel do to deserve all of this? Was she beautiful, attractive, smart, holy, and wise? No, she was just like a baby in Bethlehem and died and not a Not also true of us as well. Who is responsible for their own birth? Is it through your inherent goodness or wisdom that you keep your heart beating through your sleep? The Lord gave us life and He sustains it. He's us the giver of eternal life. This is our first point that we've received more love than we like to think. In fact, we've received so much love, and this has been shown by a few things. Uh, first of all, God 
treats all the worlds in the first place like that he created. Just saying every second of our lives, he's given us every meal, every single good thing that's our relationship, God, hobbies, Of course, we know that there's times when those good things are taken from us. That leads us to have ill health, loneliness, financial hardship, anxieties. And sometimes, even in the middle of those times, we realise that we have something to be better than the things that we are lacking. We have the Lord God himself. The one who draws close to us in suffering, assuring us of his goodness, his sovereign control of mind, us that no hair can fall from our heads without his body. Working that he works all things together to be good for those who love him. Even if we in that moment cannot possibly fathom how much I did. And then sometimes in those moments, we realise there's something even, even better yet, that God has not given himself to us just in those times of suffering. He's given us to himself for all eternity. In, in, Revelation, in Revelation here in the Bible, we read how we ourselves will be that new Jerusalem with God. God with us. We will be his people living together for eternity. Then, as we reflect on this, we're thinking how on earth could a God so wonderful, so big, and awesome love someone like me if he didn't like us? Do we deserve it? Is it a fair deal if we somehow kind of, you know, earned, earned this sort of love for us and this entire part of our participation with God? It's probably fair to talk about our opposition to the love. We haven't. We've not earned this at all. We'll come back to this in a moment, but it's, this is not a fair deal. We have been forced towards handing it by earning it. And it's in this that we see the real extent of God's love for us. And in Romans 5, we read For God shows his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, yet God sent his one and his only son into the world to live a perfect life and die a perfect death and be raised to life for our justification. That's how much love we've received. But why is it more love than we like to think? See, I don't think any of us like to admit that we've been loved in this way. It's not so great for our kids. Never seen a CV which says on it, um, okay, um, with all my qualifications and skills and things, but actually, you know, put a covering letter on which says, actually, uh, I'm a sinner, there's nothing good in me, but I've just received incredible love from God, and it's all grace from His mercy. Every good thing that is on this list, all my achievements, are just gifts from Him. I've never seen something like that. It's much easier for us to feel that we've earned. God's favour, rather than just receiving it from his grace. But this is the reality of the situation. We need to humble ourselves and come to terms with reality. We can't pretend anymore. We are like a newborn baby left out to die. Nothing within ourselves, nothing we need to do for ourselves to earn this. But he has come to us. He has chosen us. He has lavished his love upon us. 
doing where we fully understand how much we love to see that we can begin to make sense of our second point, which is that we've committed more sin than we love to admit. So the story continues. And children, I've got a question for you. So children, think about what you've heard so far. God has rescued this baby. It's been a dramatic rescue. He saves this baby's life. And then when she grows up, he marries her. Just imagine the most amazing wedding ever. See how all these wonderful gifts that God gives to this, uh, to his bride, how beautiful she is. What happens next? If it was a fairy tale, what would be the ending? Surely that they all live happily ever after, right? Oh, the thing is, this is not a fairy tale. This is real life. And just as how the Lord rescued Israel out of Egypt, has cared for her every need for hundreds of years, protecting her from all her enemies, what does Israel go and do? Does she is she uh, responding in love to her God who loves her and worshiping him all times? No, she turns to other gods, other nations, and becomes devoted to their gods, whose gods that have devastated her. And in Ezekiel 23, uh, which is really a parallel passage of this uh, this morning, we can read how um, Israel lusts after the warrior.
dying glory. Mm. God talks to the other gods. No other gods. And then, and then even kind of just gets into a tool for furthering after. And how is it that we can do that? There's two ways that we can do that today in our church. into tools for furthering our sin. First of all, um, over the last year we've spoken a bit about um, the aura of confidence that can exist in our church and no doubt other churches as well, but um, what, what is an aura of confidence? It's an atmosphere among us where we're kind of all just trying to portray ourselves as
covenant shows that God is faithful because he's moved in time again. But it also shows his love because it's all about marriage language. There's no more intimate human relationship. And God is saying, this is just a small taste of my love for you. You get a sense of that when you read verses 8 to 14 here. But go read some of the songs. Go read Ephesians 5. Read Revelation 19, where we read of the wedding supper of the Lamb, when Jesus comes back in the second coming in the future, when he returns, there will be a wedding feast as we, his people, celebrate our marriage to him. It's not some weird sex cult, it's just a metaphor. And God is saying that the greatest intimacy we can experience here on earth with another human being is but a foretaste of the intimacy and love we will have for God. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember. Verse that you may remember and be confounded, and never again open your mouth because of your shame, when I atone for you all that you have done, declares the Lord. We are that abandoned baby. We've been given life by God alone, and God has taken us to be His, to be His bride. Thank you. 